Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, uh, December the 28th, 20. 23 three more days of the year hasn't been a great year given the various wars around the world particularly in ukraine and israel gaza a couple of months ago we had a show with one of uh, one of israel's leading writers novelists uh noah yedlin uh back uh, on october the 22nd we talked about the impact of the events of october 7th on israel on noah herself and the role of Netanyahu. Noah is still around. It's more than two months later. Uh, the war is still going on. And we're back uh, in Noah's living room in Tel Aviv. Noah, um, it's been a long two months, hasn't it? You know, it's it's amazing. I, I, I've listened to our previous conversation and um, things have been changing so rapidly around here i mean you know on the one hand they're changing so rapidly that um if you interview me every day i, I don't suggest that you do but if you do i think that my my uh, views and my emotions change by the day and i don't think i'm very unique that way but on the other hand when you mentioned that benjamin netanyahu is still in power is still the prime minister of israel I thought of how little changed in, in other ways and um, how very depressing it is to think that um, in a way you can always count on things to not change for the better. And this is, I know it's a very pessimistic uh, point of view but I'm afraid that it kind of tends to prove itself in Israel. Um, I was absolutely positive that Benjamin Netanyahu will not stay in power. I didn't think he would be replaced within two months of time, but I had no, last time we talked, I had no doubt in my mind that he will not stay in power for very, very long. Uh, I'm not as certain now as I was two months ago. I, I hope that he won't, because this would be a disaster. But I can tell you that I'm absolutely positive. Yeah, and the headlines about Netanyahu for... today, um, uh, it, it could have come out of a, a novel by you or some other satirist. Um, he refuses to discuss the post-war plan, even though the whole point of the war is to create uh, a a post-war scenario. He said that the IDF is the most moral army in the world, whatever that means. Um, he has um, ended his attempt to overhaul the judiciary, but it seems as if um, he, he had a piece in the Wall Street Journal uh, a couple of days ago, our three prerequisites for peace. Is there something, I don't know whether we say Kafkaesque or some other central european or russian satirical novelist is there something absurd about all this that uh, he, he's clearly not interested in peace and he continues this war it seems in some ways as if 
uh, it's a perfect opportunity for him to wage this uncontrolled war. Meanwhile, there's lots of talk of a, of a, a broader war as a piece in the New York Times this morning about a broader war in Lebanon and elsewhere. Do you think that um, he has any interest in ending this? You know, you said that he's, uh, in a way, it's like someone who came out of a satirical novel. But I think that in order for him to, it's a very, it's a fascinating question, the, facet, the question of what kind of a literary character he's going to be. I'm going to answer your question in a second. I'm just, um, and, but in order for him to be a good literary character, he has, to, there has to be an inside to him, you know, the author, whoever he may be, must enter his soul and see what's going on inside there, you know, uh, every person has a soul, even Benjamin Netanyahu, and every person's soul is a very, very complicated uh, place, and the question of what actually goes inside his soul and inside his mind is very very interesting um, i'm trying not to do the mistake and underestimate him i'm i don't think for a minute that he's less complicated or less sophisticated than any other um character uh, literary or uh realistic um so so here's the question what what does he want does he actually want this war to continue just for the sake of his political um, well-being? Um, the, answer, the answer must be yes, because everything that he does and all his political history and all his history as Prime Minister of Israel, which is very long, uh, proves so. It proves that um, he does not, he, this is someone who would not hesitate um, to have a war on, a war that takes the lives of so hundreds of soldiers so far, and of course, um, hundreds of, not hundreds of thousands, but it's, it's um, uh, close to, uh, to 20,000 casualties. Um, in the Palestinian side. But that, and that's and dead Palestinians, let alone all the injured. Dead, dead alone, and, and of course, many more injured, and many more uh, sick, and many more homeless. And uh, I'm not even talking about uh, the magnitude of the destruction. And But uh, so is, is this a person that actually is able to uh, to pursue a war and to keep it going just for the sake of not coming to this day that this day this this day of um this day of post-war when he has to come up with some kind of a solution uh, for the gaza strip and uh, just for for him not to get to that point where he has to be held accountable for what happened where he has to face his trial um and where he probably will lose power and will be thrown from power, hopefully, this very, very disgracefully. 
So this uh, is and he may even end up in some sort of international uh, court of justice. You you talk as a novelist about what kind of character the Net Netanyahu would be or could be in a novel. Are there models for this? I just read um, or reread Martin Amos's Zone of Interest. I don't know if you've read that novel about uh, command uh, commander of a Nazi concentration camp. Of course, uh, Erzegen, uh who's no uh, who, who's no angel himself, uh, compared. Um, our friend uh, Netanyahu to uh, Hitler um, publicly recently, which caused a great deal of controversy. Are there models for examining characters like Netanyahu for you as a novel? Who's done a good job on that? I mean, as I said, I thought Martin Amis did an interesting job in Zone of Interest. The, the movie's just coming out in the US and it's drawn very different kind of critical responses. Uh, you know, I think that... Um... I think that Netanyahu, the fact that he is, uh, you, you mentioned satirical novels, um, but I think I'm more interested in the realistic realm uh, of, of literature, um, which means the question of um, what is he like, what is going on inside of him, and not looking at him as some kind of a grotesque, or as some kind of a very, very um, extreme example of, um, of a character, but looking at him as someone filled with, filled with the weaknesses, or flaws, um, contradictions, also, of course, um, strength points, everything that uh, a person has, and trying to understand I'm very, very interested in the question of what goes in his head before he falls asleep. I don't think I'm the only one, but I'm, I'm very, very curious about that question. I can't believe that a human being, an actual human being, a person in this world who is flesh and blood, does not have any, does not care at all about um, about the hundreds, the thousands of people who are at least, even if we take the most linear um, interpretation, he's still partially responsible for what happened to them. Could it be that he does not feel any kind of remorse, any kind of blame, any kind of guilt? Um, I, I'm very, very curious as to that, that question, and I actually conduct some uh, very heated debates with uh, friends of mine uh, who believe that he doesn't. I can't believe that he doesn't. Well, Maybe I don't, I, I have to admit, I don't understand why you can't believe that he doesn't. You, you hinted earlier that everyone has some sort of soul if you look hard enough, but you know, I don't want to compare him to Hitler. He probably isn't quite as bad as Hitler, but he's clearly not a particularly pleasant fellow. I mean, some people just don't have souls, Noah, don't they? I mean, some people are just either evil or empty or vacuous. You, I, I, I don't agree with you and, and I, I, I know why I can't believe that he doesn't have a soul. I know I know the answer. You know, I, I teach creative writing and I have many students and I always tell them, you know, if, if, I, if, I, if I 
if I'm to leave you with just one advice on writing, just one, and then set you free. Um, this advice would be that um, no one is uh, a saint and no one is evil. All the people in the world are somewhere in between. If there's a spectrum and here you have, uh, you know, evil characters such as the ones in the comic uh, books that eight-year-old children read, you know, with a scar here and, you know, these characters. And on the other hand, you have perfect saints that work voluntarily with leopards. I don't know, you know, all the uh, whatever cliche of sainthood you can come up with. Uh, if you, as much as your character is more centered, is more a bit like this and a bit like that, it's a better character. And I, I really believe that. And for me to believe that Benjamin Netanyahu does not have a soul or does not have a soul that works in any way or in any capacity, um, that means that I was deeply mistaken in the way that I perceive both human beings and literature, which is the same thing. Human being and literature, it's the same. Well, literature is what you think of human beings and of life, right? And maybe he has, if you ask me, I think that he does have a soul. I think that he does have a conscience. I think that he truly believes that there was injustice done to him. That may be so. I yeah, 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 yeah. I, I get your point. Yeah. But I don't believe, I, I can't believe that he's not, it, it would be too easy. You know, if he would be a different kind of species, uh, kind of, um, uh, it, 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 uh, by the way, I'm not comparing Benjamin Netanyahu to Hamas terrorists. It's, uh, I, I am not. I'm just saying that on a different level, um, when you talk about, when they talk about the evilness of the Hamas war, of the Hamas uh, terrorists, it's, it's, it's too easy. You know, to treat them as a different kind of species, a species that was born evil or that is um, that is uh, um, categorized as evil. But they're not evil. They're human beings just like us. And Which, oh, I, so, so, so the souls there, when, when we get into one of those senior Hamas people, we'd find the same zone, what Amos might joke as a, a, zone, a zone of interest there's a soul there in the hamas leaders as much as there is in in in, in netanyahu i think that there is a soul and there's uh humanity in every person alive the there's of course many many questions of what you do with your life and how you act and um how you're obviously raised and how, what are the conditions uh, under which you were raised? And uh, well, were... I have to blame his mother. I bet he had an awful mother, Netanyahu, didn't he? Um, Maybe that's he the had... next novel, Noah. Noah the uh, a novel written in the person of, of Netanyahu's mother is rather embarrassing. You know, the only way I could, I could write uh, a novel about Netanyahu is if I could um, find a little piece of myself in him. 
Well, and here's the novel. Is, is you've you you, yeah you've opened yourself up a novel in which you you're convinced he has a soul and you remember that movie being John Malkovich. You figure out a way to get inside him and you find that there isn't one and then. That would be an interesting beginning. We are talking with Noah Yedlin, the author, a book that just came out in the US, Stockholm, a novel, wonderful book, a satirical book about death and dying and humor. Uh, Noah, I want, I want to get on to the book in a minute, but it seems to me, maybe I'm a little naive here, but everyone on every side here is obsessed with morality. Who's worse? Who's done more killing? Hamas, Netanyahu, blah, blah. Who's in the right? But none of that matters. This is a pure power politics thing. Uh, Israel is armed and supported by the dominant superpower in the world, which allows it to get away with basically whatever it wants. So what I don't understand in all this is it's the whole thing, one big sort of kabuki theater where everyone talks morality but the truth is just power raw power machiavelli would make sense of this but no one else does it's got nothing to do with morality it's got nothing to do with who's in the right and the wrong you know um uh, yehuda amichai which is maybe the one of the most famous uh, israeli poets he's been dead now for uh, many years um he wrote uh, a very famous line that if I try and translate it uh, freely, it says, in the place where people are right, no flowers will ever grow. Mm. And this is, uh, I think this is the heart of it. You can be right and good luck to you with that. Go be right. Um, what do what good would it do you? That's a different question. Um, if, if we go back to the question of um, of how does uh, I, you know everything again, life and literature is the same thing as just as as I think that everyone has a soul, and just as I think that um, each character, in order to be human, has to be both bad and good and everything in between, just as people are, I think that in order for a, uh, for a character to be a good character, it has, it has to be both right and wrong at the same time, just as people are. When I, have, um, when I fight with my husband, if it's an interesting fight, if it's not an interesting fight, then I'm absolutely right and he's absolutely wrong, which, is, which can be the case. But... If it's an interesting fight, and if it's a fight worth listening to, or worth conducting, or worth uh, transcripting into a novel, it's only where we are both right and wrong at the same time. Where you can, when you listen to me, you think, wow, she's absolutely right. And when you listen to him, you say, wow, he's the right one. This is the story of, of this, is, this is what life is, and this is what morality is in my opinion. Of course, the, the question, the Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict is, is a super, is, first of all, it's a, very, um, it, it's a very old one. And as a very old and very, very, very um, complex one, it's, it's, it can't be that one of us is right and one, of, one side is right and one side is wrong. It's impossible. 
it's impossible that after everything that has happened, after all the, on one hand, the uh, terrorist attacks that we have been through even before October 7th, and obviously October 7th is, uh, is a barbaric crime against humanity that um, I, I can't say it's indescribable. It is describable it happened. On the other hand, you have um, uh, you have many sins and many wrongs that were done by by uh, by by the Israeli state or by the Israeli government uh, over the years, and um, and and in order for this to to have any any future or any any viable chance for a solution. Everyone has to to let go of this idea of who's right and who's wrong. Um, it's it's a bit childish, in my opinion, to even search for for such a superficial um, kind of morality. Let's put it this way. Yeah, it seems on the one hand as if I mean it's obviously the real war is the propaganda war over morality. But what I don't understand is why people want to be right. Um, why people want to Does be it make right? Them feel, you, you, you mentioned that uh, the Nietzschean comment from one of your great poets about the dangers of uh, being right. Um, but why don't people just, just be honest and say, look, we want power. We're, we're the ones with the guns. This is the way it is. I don't understand why everyone's so greedy for virtue here. Here in this specific conflict, or or well, I mean, let's. I mean, we could broaden it, but let's just focus on and this particular event. Uh, the, the the greed for virtue is rather, to me, is 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 rather absurd i guess you're asking you know you're asking um an almost existential question it's uh, i guess we can write only almost um, existential question yeah it's, it's, it's you said it's almost i want it to be a real or i want to i want it to be an actual existential okay question. i i suggest i if, if you agree we can write together you know a 900 page um book on on this question it's a huge question yeah no one will read it if it's 900 pages but i that's true i i but i can say i think that one of them it's it's more i think it's more of a psychological question than a political question and i think that the one of the upsides of being right is that uh you get to be insulted you get to be hurt if you're right then anything done to you is wrong and there is not uh, many things that people like uh like as they like to be offended because yeah. if, when you're offended you're in the position that you are um being offended is a position that frees you completely from the need to try and understand the other person, to try and um, close the gap between you and another person. You're held in this position of being right and insulted. And this is, this is again, a position that will bring you nowhere, but it's, it's a lot of 
it's there are advantages there are perks to this um, position as i see it yeah so that's the machiavellian interpretation what could it also be proof that we have a soul your your thesis <laughs> of course we do i never claimed that we don't i no i mean we, but you haven't come up with a convincing argument yeah it's a hard no, one i haven't you feel that i have well, you haven't convinced me we have a soul but maybe you need to write that 900 page book or we need to do together maybe. we are speaking maybe. with noah yedlin uh, one of israel's leading novelists the author of stockholm a novel just come out in the us i want to remind everyone that such high quality guests and conversations are helped uh, brought to us by uh, liberties a quarterly journal of culture and politics a, a great new publication put out by my friend um uh, my, by my friends in Washington, D.C. I'm going to run a short feature on liberties, and then we'll be back with Noah to talk about writers and war, and particularly Israeli writers and war. So don't go away, anyone. News, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties, it's not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought, a quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties, which is brought out by Leon Wieseltier uh, at libertiesjournal.com. We are speaking with uh, one of Israel's leading novelists, Noah Yedlin, the author of a new book that's just come out. Been out in Israel a while, Stockholm, a novel. It just got translated. No, I was, to prepare for this, I was looking, and they always have these features. Israeli writers are still in a state of shock and unable to process October 7th, according to the Los Angeles Times. And then according to uh, another publication, uh, Hamas attacks leave Israeli authors shocked, soul-searching. Oh, we're back to soul-searching, Noah. Uh, although you're probably always looking for souls uh, as writers. Do, do writers have anything to offer here? I mean, I'm sure it's not just Israeli writers who were shocked with what happened. It's all Israelis um, unable to process, looking for souls, blah, blah. What, what do writers, you know, we've had shows, uh, so many shows on this, one with one left-wing, classic left-wing Jewish uh, activist, Joanne Maud, about poets bringing peace do writers have anything to offer or are you just no different from people working in cafes or lawyers or doctors or military commanders? What do you bring? And speaking on behalf, of course, of all writers, all Israeli writers. Um, first of all, I'm, I don't think I can speak on behalf of all Israeli writers. No, I'm teasing uh, you. I mean, obviously, you can only okay. speak on your own behalf. <laughs> okay. Um, so... I think, you know, first of all, we're no different than um, than any other person. And I think that at the beginning when the shock was, um, was obviously the greatest in the first uh, few days and weeks, when we were all, first of all, in shock and second of all, looking to help, at the beginning we just helped the way everyone did. We went and um, and um, packed underwear for uh, evacuated families that lost their homes and are now 
um, stuck homeless in, in hotels and, and, uh, and don't have even clothes to wear. Um, we went to the supermarket and we bought pasta and we donated it so people would have stuff to eat. This is something that you don't have to, to be a writer in order to do. But this is sometimes, you know, you don't need a writer. Sometimes you need pasta uh, or clean underwear. Um, but I think that bit by bit, we did find ways um, to contribute in ways that are more uh, maybe that has to do with words. You know, at the beginning, I think that in general, before I say how, how, how we used our words to try and help, I think that one of the biggest shocks for writers is that this is words are, are our tool. You know, we don't have another tool. I don't have any other tool other than words. And after October 7th, words have become, the language has become a landmine. You know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm being interviewed about what happened in October 7th, and I open and I say, I'm happy to be here. And then I immediately say, well, I'm not happy. God forbid, not happy. You know, the word happy has been eliminated from the vocabulary. Or people even in the street, you know, we ask each other, how are you? No one dares to say, I'm fine, because it seems... Um, it seems so privileged to say I'm fine. So people, you know, they, they, oh yeah, I'm, you know, it's depending and people don't know, even uh, manage to um, answer a very simple question. Um, but I think that very, very quickly we started finding ways to at least feel that we're useful. There has been, I don't know if you've heard of that, I think if you haven't, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, there have been so many uh, funerals in such a short period of time that um, one of the kibbutzim, uh, one of the kibbutzes, kibbutz Be'eri, which suffered the most, uh, uh, the most um, casualties, it, it suffered there were, I think, over 100 people murdered there out of that 10% of the kibbutz population. Um, and the kibbutz has this tradition that every time, before October 7th, that every time one of the kibbutz members die, um, members of the kibbutz, they write a eulogy and they talk about uh, his life and they talk about uh, his life story. They have this rules on how to to write this um this special eulogy that they used <coughs> because there were so many mur uh, people murdered and because it was there were so many funerals there they didn't have the time the energy or the manpower to sit down and write these eulogies so there was a very um an amazing um amazing amazing initiative um, that they recruited writers, Israel's, um, some of Israel's most famous uh, authors, and they asked them to write the eulogies uh, actually for people that they didn't know. 
and they also recruited researchers, researchers that work for journalists or people that work for and uh, television news shows, and they talked to the deceased uh, friends and family. They wrote his life story. They wrote what people say about them, what people tell about their character, about their hobbies, about everything. And then uh, they handed <sighs> the material to the uh, authors, and the authors wrote the eulogy. And many of us did that. It was a very, very unique. I don't, I don't know if this kind of thing has. Yeah, it, it is a moving thing. Although one thinks it would be hard to do on the other side, given the chaos in Gaza, and the fact that so many Palestinian or Gazan writers have also died. It's true, but it's, but it, it does not. It, it, what you're saying is, is, is true, but it does not. Um, it yeah, does I, not say anything about the right. fact that a hundred over a hundred people were brutally murdered including young children and to sit down and write a UG about a nine-year-old I, I, I actually I can tell you one amazing story um, my my uh, one of my friends um, and we didn't know which uh, who we were going to write about until we got the material and a friend of mine who is also a writer she um, she got the material and she found out that she's she has to write a eulogy about a nine-year-old uh, girl, and this was very difficult. First of all, because it's very difficult to write a eulogy about a nine-year-old girl who was murdered um, mm. after after sleeping at her friend's house and they were both murdered. This is a horrible thing, and uh, and second of all, because a nine-year-old child hardly has a life to write yeah. about. It's only nine years of, of, you know, being kind of happy and going to playground. And But she did it and she wrote the eulogy and she asked that when the funeral takes place, they call her and they invite, and she, can, she wanted to come to the funeral. And they didn't call her and they didn't call her and they didn't call her. And it, it kept getting postponed. And eventually, it turned out that she was not murdered. She was kidnapped by Hamas, and there, there was a mis there, It took the, it took a lot of time for. It, there were many cases like this, not many, but some. Um, it took a lot a lot of time to um, identify all the bodies and to understand who is murdered and who is um, kidnapped. And it turned out that she was kidnapped. Mm. And a few weeks ago, when uh, when there was a deal and Hamas was forced to free some of the hostages, uh, she actually came down from the bus and walked back into Israel. This girl that she wrote. Yeah, that's before. an astonishing story. I just... This is unbelievable. I, I, this was yeah, yeah. such a. It, yeah, it, it's, are, uh, this it's... is the kind of things that. that this is kind of the kind of even no you work. couldn't make that up as a writer no. you mentioned that the power of words some some people are talking now about uh, uh avi schleim had a piece in prospect about ethnic cleansing the idea that israel now is trying to ethnically cleanse gaza as a writer how careful i mean words are 
do you do you think you have a particular responsibility with loaded terms like ethnic cleansing? I don't think that I have this responsibility. Not you personally, but writers. I mean, you're not a geostrategic writer. You're a novelist, but still. I think that as human beings, you have a responsibility with words. I'm not a person that is very afraid of words. I don't think that words, I think that sometimes in our uh, era, we tend to uh, take words a bit too seriously. But um, I think that um, human beings who are interested, adult human beings who are interested in conducting uh, fruitful and intelligent and responsible um, debate are supposed to try and uh, speak accurately, as accurately as possible. And Israel is not conducting an ethnic uh, cleansing in Gaza. I think what is going on in Gaza is very, very, very complicated. And, it, and I am extremely... I wonder, uh, I don't want to get into that, but I, whenever yeah. anyone uses the word complicated, no, it means that always seems to me as if they're trying to justify something which maybe isn't as hard to justify anyway let's talk a little bit about humor um uh your, I, your new I, novel is uh, a humorous take on death and dying got a starred review in in kirkus um is there still a role for humor in this can one make jokes about all this dying in gaza and northern israel I'm going to answer this question in a minute. I just want to say one thing about your previous question. Um, you left me with this idea that maybe I'm using complicated as a kind of a kind of an excuse. Um, I, I do want to think. I, I do want to say that I don't think that it's true. I think that uh, we maybe we will not get now into what's going on in Gaza. And I'm I'm not also, I'm also I'm not a politician and I'm not a strategic and it's not my job. But uh, luckily, but I do want to say that um, uh, Israel was um, the person responsible for what's going on now in Gaza is Hamas. Hamas knew that this is what's going to happen and they sacrificed their people on the altar of their. Um, of their murderous aspirations. It's true that um, it's a question of how long should this uh, go on in Gaza and to what extent and how this should be conducted. These are very, very serious questions. Um, and I'm very, very worried about what's going on in Gaza and about the humanitarian uh, crisis there. Um, but. This is not, uh, I, I don't think that calling it an ethnic cleansing is, is, uh, is a fair description. Um, but now let's go to humor in a very, very um, sharp turn. Um, is, is humor even possible? You know, um, I'm now writing, um, I'm writing a, an adaptation, a TV, an adaptation for a TV for a novel of mine, a different novel that was not yet published in the US. It's called People Like Us. And uh, I just wrote one of the episodes and I wrote a joke. I wrote a funny line in a dialogue. I hope it's funny. And um, 
it has to do with the dead soldier, the, this joke. And uh, when I handed the episode, my, uh, my editor, my script editor, she told me, you know, I don't think that, um, that you can write a joke like that at a time like this, when, when so many soldiers are, um, are, are getting killed every day. And I told her, you know, um, I think it's a matter of, it's a question of good taste. I think that if the, um, if the episode would air tonight, then maybe it would not be in such a good taste because this is something that is burning at, this, at the moment. But I think that this is, this is a show for the future. I guess it won't, it won't air um, before uh, a year or two years from now. And if you tell me that in a year or in two years, we will not be able to tell jokes like that, or if you tell me that in two years there is a joke that cannot, that would not be told, that could not be told, then this would be really depressing for me. This would mean for me that there is no coming back from where we are now, that there is no um, rehabilitation because humor um, is life and it's, um, it's a lot of things. So this is one thing that I, I, I want to say. Uh, a second thing that may be, um, that may be relevant is that in my, in my view, humor is not a funny thing at all. Um, humor is actually a rather sad thing. And I know it sounds strange, I'll try and explain, but I think that um, humor is actually, is actually um, identifying cracks in reality. It's, it's looking at things that seem whole, that seem uh, okay, that seem fine, that seem, you know, nothing wrong and finding the, the cracks and then uh, shedding light on these cracks in a, in, a, in a new way. And I think that the laughter of the person who's reading it comes from the surprise. You know, we were both looking at the same thing, at the same relationship, at the same person, at the same dialogue, at the same whatever. Uh, we were both looking at the same thing and I didn't see, I didn't notice that there was a crack there. And the fact that I'm surprised to, to discover it, that's the joke. But this is a very, very pessimistic um, way of uh, perceiving the world. To walk around the earth and, and to try and detect uh, what's wrong and what's missing and what's cracked and broken, this is not a very nice, um, not a very optimistic way of thinking. And I think that this is good humor. Um, that's how I see it, at least. Finally, um, do you think that this is going to change Israeli literature? You know, all these pieces about everything's changed uh, after the events of October and the current war. Or is it conceivable that, say, by this time next year, maybe you'll come back on the show, maybe there'll be some sort of peace, uh, international peace force in Gaza, some initiatives on peace. 
is it conceivable that everything will just go back to normal? How, how, how do you think Israeli literature might change out of all this? Um, you know, I think that it's, you know, it's, it's when, when the, uh, we had COVID, I was yeah. amazed to find out that, um, you know, it started in March, right? And by September, there were already uh, books published about COVID. <sighs> um, short stories and novels. And I was very shocked by that, not only by the, um, by the uh, speed that people wrote these books, but also by the fact that I always feel that uh, in order to write something, you have to understand its implications, you know? A novel is not uh, a news story. It's not, you don't report to a novel uh, two hours after something happened. Um, and all this I'm, I'm saying is, is um, to answer your question, I, I think that writing prose now is, uh, or at least realistic prose, is not, it's very difficult because you know, even if I write the novel now and I know it's going to be published, let's say in 2025, it's like it's it's very it's a very near it's a very near future. But Israel is changing so dramatically and so rapidly right now that writing a novel that would be published in 2025 is for me like writing a novel that would be published in 2078. It, it's a it's a it's a science fiction. I don't know how people are going to um, talk in 2025 in Israel. I don't know what are going to be the relations between different groups in society in 2025. So it's very, very difficult. I am, what I can say is that, you know, everything that happens runs through our, our bloodstream, right? And October 7th is now running through our bloodstreams forever this is part of who we are now so whatever we're going to write from october 8th and on is going to have is going to be soaked with october 7th even if it's not the topic even if it's not about the palestinians and the israelis even if it's even if it doesn't have the words the actual words in it um i'm writing a novel now about something absolutely different it has nothing to do with October 7th. But now that I'm writing it, um, it's, it's, uh, it takes place in Israel. So it means that October 7th is part of it. Um, I don't know if it's an answer to your question. Well, yeah, well, but, and finally, finally, you mentioned science fiction. Uh, as a writer now, you feel as if you're writing science fiction. Israel, of course, is a tech leader, one of the countries pioneering AI. Could, could AI be used to address this problem, this most intractable political problem in the world for the 20th century, perhaps in throughout history? Could, could technology ever be helpful to solve any of this? Um, I, my answer is, uh, is the naive answer of someone who has uh, never, I mean, I, I have not yet used AI 
I have been part of all kinds of experiments that uh, tested who writes better, AI or a novelist. Um, but my answer is the naive answer of someone who wants to believe that if we go back to the human soul, um, that it will always prevail. Um, I know that I may be wrong, but I want to be right. You know, I know that no flowers are going to grow where in the place where I'm right, but I still want to be right. <laughs>